Right, the worst thing that I've got in the Old Testament is um, it is written in the Old Testament that if a man beat his slave and he dies within the first three days, that is murder. However, if he beats his slave and his slave lives past his three days, it is okay because that slave is that man's property. Go on. This is episode 79. 79? Fantastic. Lovely. This is our Christmas episode. For today it is five days from Christmas, and by the time you hear it, it'll be even closer. We hope you have a wonderful time with your family and friends on this most joyous of occasions. Today, I, your host, Dave Bamford, am joined by my co-hosts, Mr. Tom Peel. Say hello, Tom. Hello. And Mr. Tony Makos. Say hello, Tony. Merry Christmas, everyone. Lovely. Today we're a bit more laid back than we have been in previous years, where we've hosted. This is very laid back. I must admit, this is... <laughs> people thought, are going to be listening to this having a nap. Really laid back, you know. I like horizontal. it. I like it. Let's just yeah, see if we can do a whole laid back <laughs> kind of thing. Chocolate radio. Yeah, <laughs> silky smooth. Smooth FM. Yeah, like, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome back to Norfolk FM. Um, <laughs> So we decided not to do our uh, our general Christmas party that we've done the last few years, but instead we'll uh, you know snuggle up by the fire, drink a bit of Bailey's, and mm. uh, just take some listeners' questions. But before we do that, how are you guys, and are you prepped for Christmas? I have done all my Christmas shopping. Um, it's been delightful. I went on a certain online retailer and um, upgraded myself to a special deal where they where they get one day delivery, paid for a month of that, ordered all my stuff. Then cancelled it because I know how to use the system. Yeah, abuse the system, you mean? No, use it. I'm using it in my favour. But yeah, I, I did basically just take out a um, subscription order on my stuff, get free delivery because I, I I waited too late and that's my bad. You know, it was saying it could arrive before, but it was doing that annoying thing where it kind of tells you it it, it might be there, but it might not. Uh, it so might I be here to... in February. Yes, you never know. Yeah. How they, that's how they lure you in. It might come in February unless you click on the box. And it will definitely come tomorrow before lunch. I've been using and abusing the Prime version of Amazon Delivery for a number of years now as a student. You are definitely a student. I'm not a student in any way, shape or form. I mean, a student of life, as, a, as we all are. <laughs> one or other. But I can recommend, if you can game the system in another way, Peel, that if you... <laughs> If you know what you're doing, you can get Prime delivery for about 35 quid a year. 
That's me and my third year of that. I'm uh, taking them to the fucking cleaners. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't pay the right amount of tax, so it's all good. I don't um, pay the right amount of delivery either. <laughs> <laughs> well, as an actual student, Tony, you offend me. <laughs> if, if you need anything delivered next day, just give us a shout. Don't worry, I just uh, I just use my mum's subscription, obviously. So that's fine. <laughs> and also works. Helen uses mine, which means that every year I end up buying most of her family's Christmas presents. But that's fine, because I know it's guaranteed to get there the next day. And I don't have to touch it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My Christmas is slowly kind of, in a similar way to this podcast, it's kind of very smoothly kind of gearing up to the 25th. I think most of my present-based commitments are all taken care of. We're going to have a nice, quiet Christmas here in Edinburgh. One of the things I I was thinking about when when it comes to Christmas is that Christmas Day 2017 will be my five-year anniversary of playing a Game of Thrones, the card game. Oh. Very nice. Exactly five years. In 2012, I bought a corset for the missus before she was my actual missus. I, this, I went into a shop and kind of went, hmm, living card games, what's all that about? I've got the option to buy one of four living card games. We could go we could go Game of Thrones. We could go Call of Cthulhu. We could go Star Wars. Mm, good shout we could go Android Netrunner. Oh, what should we do? What should we do? Let's go Game of Thrones because, you know, we all like about Game of Thrones. And the rest, unfortunately, is history. I still remember our first game. Ah, wistful nostalgia. Ah, remember Game of Thrones? Um, <laughs> Bail, mate. We had our first game that evening. We were sitting beside each other on a, like a coffee table as opposed to, a, you know, the tradition, more traditional, opposite each other. Mm-hmm. We were sitting beside each other. Like date thrones. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, we're we're sitting basically on a little coffee table, kind of in front of the television, and we got the cards out, and I played Baratheon, I think, and mm-hmm. you know the rest is history. Helen played Stark. There you go. That's where it all started. And the the main thing that I remember from that game is that one, we thought you flipped plots randomly. Because <laughs> you know you okay. always, you always get a rule wrong when you uh, when you play a game for the first time. And um, yes. so we built the kind of starter the, the the decks that the the, the rulebook told you to build. So <laughs> I, know, I, had, I know what plots in that Stark deck. <laughs> well, exactly. So so this is so so oh, you can tell enough. you can tell what's going to happen, right? Yeah. So first plot we kind of go because we didn't find it. We didn't see anywhere that it said you actually chose which plot. Uh, out of your plot deck that you flipped so we flipped the first plots and I'm like ooh look I've got Brienne of Tarth oh fantastic and I've got some little guys here and I've got some economy and Helen had some stuff and we did some challenges and it was all very exciting and then we got to the we went through all the phases and we're like okay and dominance and then standing you know the house card gives you the little kind of guide as to what you do and so we got through dominance and we got through standing and we got through taxation and we're like okay so we go back around to the start now Neither of us asked each other if anyone wanted to do any pre-plot actions because, you know, we were young, we were foolish, we didn't know, we, we didn't know what was to come. And so I pick a random plot out of my plot deck, and she picks a random plot out of her plot deck, flips it. Valamor Gullis, kill every character, and we kind of looked at it and went, that can't be right, can it? It's it's what it says, okay. But I've just paid three for Brienne of Tarth. 
<laughs> no, she's dead. And the rule book says that when she's dead, I can't play another one. And anyway, I don't have another one because there's only one in the corset. And so we kind of scratched our head and went, this game's a bit harsh, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, yeah, here we are five years later. <laughs> Still playing Stark yeah. and Raffian. <laughs> but now we choose our plots out of plot deck carefully. Well, Aww. yeah. You try to. We might, yeah, we, well, we try to. Yeah, yeah. Was um, laugh, and we might even have a cheeky game on Christmas Day just to, for nostalgia purposes, oh, and randomly and randomly choose our plots. <laughs> I'll have to uh, I'll have to try and get Big Al to play with me on Boxing Day because Boxing Day 2012 was our first day. Of really? Thrones. Yeah. So you're a day older than me in Thrones lore. Yay! <laughs> well done. Oh, Did you? Play, oh yeah, you played Al, didn't you? Yeah, I played my dad, and he yeah. played the gold cost of Cal Drogo. <laughs> awful terrible awful terrible. and that was his last game as well yeah he didn't want to play anymore pay four for Drogo and uh, you know it will be your last game <laughs> yeah I mean I wasn't playing much better yeah and, and we didn't enjoy it at all in fairness yeah. no I didn't enjoy my second game either it wasn't until I played with the Waffle that I was like actually this is pretty good maybe let's buy all the cards <laughs> he was like yeah let's get all the cards I think, I think after after we played Stark against Baratheon, we played Lannister against Targ, which, you know, well, you can imagine how that went, because famously the Targ deck in the course of it is uh, barely even a deck. Yep. So kind of collection of odd cards. So kind of Lannister walked all over us and that. And it wasn't until we kind of played Barra against Stark again, and I started to kind of really... It was like, ooh, this Robert Baratheon gets two power every time he wins something. This is mm-hmm. great. Two's much closer to 15 than one. Let's do it again. <laughs> do it again. And yeah, it hit the new year and we said exactly the same thing. Should we just buy all the cards? Well, how many other? There's quite a lot of cards. Let me go on the internet. Ooh, there's a lot of cards. Hey, there's a whole community here. Yeah, let's do it. And three or four months later, we had all the cards. God. Uh, we, we took over a year to get all the cards. Over a year? Yeah, 2014 Nationals is when Based we it out, though, didn't it? Based it out. Yeah, so a year and a half. Jesus. Time. But I mean, in fairness, some of them were out of print. Two of the cycles got reprinted, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And yeah, of course. For Ravens and the other one. So the last chapter pack we got bought was uh, Winds of Winter, which would obviously offend Craven massively. The last back, back, back chapter pack we bought was uh, The White Raven. <laughs> I think the last ones we got were the Maesters, which probably offend you. That does offend me, yeah. We got one of them quite early because I remember... Uh, I just bought it randomly in the shop because there was one we didn't have. Well, I remember getting very upset about it because uh, Slander and Lies was in it. And if, for those who don't know, Slander and Lies, you attach to a character and you can spend their power as if it was gold in your gold pool. Um, and I thought, if Waffle sees this card, I've lost every game for like the rest of eternity. Yeah. Because I was playing um, Martell and Barra together. I was like, my Stannis and my How was Viper your deck just for ages? They're just so fucked. So I did consider just either destroying it or hiding it at the bottom of the box. Just forever. So he can never play it. In the end, I, I owned up to it and it was alright. I, I managed to get around it. That's why you play Confiscation in every deck. <laughs> so I guess we'll have to uh, celebrate Peel's uh, ascension to the game in a few months' time. Yeah. On his birthday. When was yours, Peel, then? On my birthday, or near, there or thereabouts, wasn't it? Pretty much. Which is when? March. Oh, right, nice. Yeah. 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 
Well, basically, you, James, and Waffle, wasn't it, I think, in the end? Um, we were all just yeah. sat playing it one night. And I think I went to the tournament in Stoke. Ooh. Pretty quickly afterwards, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't long. There was a there was only a very short kind of, oh, this is the game. Oh, the tournament in Stoke. Oh, all right, then let's go. And that's when I um I was playing Stark at tournaments, so clearly I was young and naive. You know, this is when we still thought Stark had a chance uh, before Greyjoy were discovered properly. And now, just, you know, actually I went back to them, but still, but Greyjoy after that, I built the Black Sails deck. No, I didn't, sorry, I had the um the one that got restricted to just neutral decks. Long Voyage. A long yeah. Voyage. Because I didn't like taking cards out of my deck. I used to put too many things in, and I used to be able to just have all those things. <laughs> Even though I might only just use those things maybe once or twice, if ever, um, I, you know, I, I liked the fact that if I saw it, I'd go, ha-ha. Which is why I discovered much more, because it was one of the cards I just kept putting in all my decks. I mean, who doesn't want an 85-card deck? Exactly. I loved an 85-card deck. It was fantastic. I remember, yeah. As Peel, Peel, we visited you in Manchester. I think on the Sunday after we'd been out for your birthday, we went into one of the shops, and I picked up the Martel box and uh, Reach of the Kraken, which had uh, Victorian and Black Sails in it. And we were just like, this was before you played, because yeah. we were just like, you need to play this game when you're next home, because obviously I didn't have my cards with me. And I think it was the following week you were home, and on the Friday night you played your first game, and you were just like, can we do tournaments? Yeah. it's like I oh. guess so let's have a look <laughs> and because before that we hadn't really thought about it and there was a regional in like Glasgow the next day and we were just like we could go we're, <laughs> we're hosting a party tomorrow but we could sack it off no we'll, we'll wait we'll go to the one in Stoke instead <laughs> in a couple in like a month we were very tempted after yeah your one evening of play to just go to a tournament I think we were just drinking all the evening we were just doing what we used to that, there's a great picture of your cat playing uh, Thrones from that evening. I think. Yeah, that was uh, my dad's. Yeah. yeah. Sat on the, the chair just going, oh, what are all of these? That was old Chewbacca, bless him. Mm. Still lives with him, he's still... I can credit Waffle with my my passion to play the game, but I guess you got me into the competitive scene, Peel. I did raise you up. There you go. <laughs> Peel's desire to beat other people in the face. It was just literally a case of, oh, this is good. But I kept. I think the reason I wanted to play at a tournament is because I kept getting beaten by you, if I'm brutally honest. <laughs> I was like, oh, you've beaten me like six times now, fuck this. <laughs> like, is there a tournament where we can play? <laughs> like, might be people who I'm better than. Yeah, and you beat Hammers in the last round of Swiss and he was well salty about it. <laughs> in a similar way to you, Dave, I don't really didn't buy a bunch of Greyjoy packs because of how fucking disgusting they were. Was there a pack called The Song of Silence? There was, yeah, with Euron in it. That's the one, yeah. And I remember looking that up on CardGameDB and going to go and... Because by that point, Helen's subsidiary house was Greyjoy. Mine was Martell, because I, the, you know, two weeks into January, I went, oh, Martell box, yeah, we'll get that. Got that and went, these cards are ridiculous. I'm playing Martell. That box is ridiculous. Yeah, it's and, and remained ridiculous until the end of first edition. You know? And then the Greyjoy box came out and I just kind of went, no, no, no you can have that. Uh, without really considering how ridiculous and how disgusting it was, and all the all the great job cards were horrible. So, so because I was kind of in charge of buying the cards, we very much did them in an order where, that it kind of benefited me rather than her. <laughs> so it took a best part of a year before we actually left the house and started playing other people and realised that uh, while we were phenomenal players around the kitchen table, we were a bit shit in real life. <laughs> you know, that's the way it goes. 
Christmas is a time for, you know, reminiscing and, you know, a bit of nostalgia. And in this particular instance, neither of us would be sitting here talking to each other if it wasn't for Christmas 2012, Boxing Day 2012, all that True. stuff. So, uh, you know, you're supposed to be thankful for little things at Christmas, and here we are. Yeah, the second most wonderful time of the year. So lovely. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> with that out of the way, let's actually... Listen, let's, uh, listen to some listeners' questions. Let's answer some listeners' questions. I'm just going to take my shoes off and put, put my feet up uh, by the fire. Fantastic, fantastic. This is getting very relaxed. I'm going to turn sideways and get myself get myself prepared, I reckon. If Peel doesn't speak for the rest of the episode, he's fallen asleep. I'm going to get cosy. I'm going to get my little electric heater over here, plug that in, put it near me. I'm going to move all the stuff off the bed. So we put out the call this morning for listeners' questions. And the first question is directed at Tony, and it's from Matt Edelman. And he says, I'd love to hear Tony give his thoughts on Season 7 of the show. Which isn't really a question, but it's a request for some thoughts. So, Tony, what do you think to Season 7 of the show? Presumably, in this context, he doesn't mean banter, which isn't on Season 7. I'm assuming he's The Walking Dead. Um, This is the point in the year where I look back on good television, of the of, of the last twelve months, and it's a small spoiler to say, I guess, that I don't consider season seven of Game of Thrones to, or any episode of season seven of Game of Thrones, really, to be up there amongst the best television that I've seen in the last twelve months. My thoughts on season seven of the show, are, I think, reasonably consistent with other folk that I've uh, talked to uh, that have any kind of knowledge of A Song of Ice and Fire, whether they play the card game or whether they've read the books or whatever which is that as they start to deviate from George R. R. Martin's books and as they hurry towards the end of the show they are perhaps hurrying just a little bit too fast and I think season 7 was a tremendous spectacle I think there's some amazing things to look at in that show I think there's a lot of amazing logic defying leaps that they make in that show as well yeah, there's some really nice things to look at. There's episodes of the show that get through the kind of series of events that it would previously have taken an entire season to get through, which, you know, is very indicative of them kind of, you know, hurrying to the finish line. There's one thing that George R. R. Martin doesn't seem to do, and that is worry about time. He, he doesn't seem to be in that much of a hurry to kind of get to the end of his saga. Uh, let's hope we see the next book at some point in 2018. But obviously the pressures of making a very successful television show mean that the the showrunners of that are under a certain time pressure. So they're just fucking getting to the finish line as quickly as they can. I very much enjoyed seeing lots of dragons and seeing the wall being fucking burnt down by blue fire or wherever it was. But the fact that it didn't take them very long to kind of get to that point and the fact that they pretty much eliminated like two entire families in the space of 10 minutes and... Yeah, I had my issues with that. I think you're well, used to, you're certainly used to a certain pace of that show, and it changed it up. But the change from the existing pace to the show to the new pace of the show was a little bit jarring for me. I like to just uh, think they unlocked fast travel because um, <laughs> it's like time. Like it, it's like in the first episode or in the first season, it took them like three episodes to get down from the north to King's Landing. Which, if you look at the map, in the grand scheme of things, isn't that far. Um, not compared to going from south of King's Landing to above the wall 
presumably by boat. They just seem to travel everywhere really quickly. Oh, I'm going for a meeting with Daenerys, and it's like you're there the next day, chilling. Like what? Well, Cersei's wheelhouse doesn't move as fast as a dragon, right? Yeah, exactly. But it's ridiculous. It was all everything was so <laughs> so light. It like it made traveling just unnecessary. I don't know how much time must have passed, like theoretical time, because it was ridiculous. The fact is that there is only seven episodes left, eight episodes left, and there was only seven yeah, but they're all big ones, though, aren't they? They're all going to be like big. Yeah, it's the end of a big saga, so every second counts, right? Every mm. there there shouldn't be any any flab in any in any of these episodes at all. Every single episode, which is and let's face it, every single episode is likely to be about an hour twenty from now on as well, as they plow two hundred and fifty million fucking dollars to into the the end of uh, their their cash cow, which is the you know that is Game of Thrones. It felt jarring. It felt great, sure, like instantly satisfying to see a lot of the things that you've been gearing up for six seasons to see, sure. Uh, but there's there's a point where you're kind of like, whoa, fuck, oh, that's happening now? Oh, right, okay. And now that's done? Right, okay. Uh, well, well, we'll move on to the next amazing thing, shall we? It felt, sure, necessary that they had, they kind of have to do it, but it kind of ruined perhaps a little bit of the kind of the drama for me. It just felt like, okay, what's what's happening on next week's Game of Thrones? Uh, probably about another $40 million worth of special effects and uh, a lot of massive things. There'll be some people that die. There'll be families that die. There'll be massive major things that happen. Oof, right, okay, well, that was uh, exhilarating to watch, but um, it didn't feel maybe as satisfying as maybe some as some previous stuff. But I get it. It's, you know, out of necessity. I can't say I, can't say I didn't enjoy watching this stuff, but... Um, it wasn't instantly satisfying as, as as stuff that you've kind of earned, even though I guess you, you kind of have sat for six years watching all these episodes and kind of gone, right, okay, yeah. it's about time I saw fucking Daenerys shag Jon Snow. But, <laughs> oh, but you know, I could have waited. <laughs> he obviously... That's a relatively popular opinion, I think. What, what, what do you guys think? I mean, you probably... You, I, you enjoyed watching it, right? But it just sped to, to where it was going a little bit fast, right? It was fantastic to watch, but it was very kind of like bang, bang, bang. Ha I was a bit annoyed they killed off like the entire Tyrells in like apparently five minutes. <laughs> like, what? These are like the a massive, massive, powerful house who have lots and lots of money, armies, influence, all this stuff, and they're just now oh, they're gone. Like, oh, all right. And then the Martells, oh, they're just gone. Oh, all right. It's almost as if they were gearing up to add them in a lot, which in theory the book might have, but. They've kind of gone, oh shit, hang on a minute. We can't have like six families battling it out. Let's just cut it down to three and a half. Mm. In fact, no, solid, make it two and a half. Two and a half families. Three and a half families. Yeah. And the nice watch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they're, they're the half, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess they are. I guess there's a, there's a fairly easy kind of easy way to kind of split up what came from George R. R. Martin and then what the showrunners have put and their writing staff have put together. And one thing, as I said, that George R. R. Martin is is not quick to do is give kind of easy resolutions to things. His writing is, you know, his horrible sprawling in places writing is all about the fact that things don't come to a kind of natural, perfect conclusion and things get wiped out and then you just kind of move on or... Uh, there is there are no happy endings or, or any of that. He, he he makes a fucking point of that. He spends two pages writing about breakfast for fuck's sake. You know he spends 
an entire page writing about how glorious someone's gown looks. And suddenly you've got the, you've got the showrunners on board that are kind of like, right, yeah, we're not going to have time for that anymore. Uh, so easy endings it is. Right, we, we kind of have to do that now to to satisfy our audience. And it just feels out of place with uh, the, the existing writing. And that's probably, you know, digging a little bit too deep in that if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. I did enjoy it. I, you know, pointed my eyes at the television screen for seven hours this, this year and enjoyed what I saw. But it was just kind of like, nah, okay, another, another episode of Game of Thrones where big things happen. Nah. The problem for me is that not only have they cut stuff and they've sped stuff up, but, you know, most of the stuff I care about no longer matters. I, I've always I've always been one for the politics over the supernatural in it anyway. And now it's just like, oh, it's the Night King. And there's no motivation for the Night King, which kind of George has implied there might be in the books. Or at least he's said in interviews, you know, that mm. the others, they're not just hell-bent on destruction. There might be something there. And there's no real hint of that in the show. So I, I don't care about the others. I've very rarely cared about them in the books anyway. And now it's just like, oh, well, Stannis is dead. Great, fine. So that's one house I care about extinct and then Doran died and I was like oh dear this isn't going well I don't really like the sand snakes but they're all dead great okay so now I don't have a horse in this race really who am I supposed to root for I guess Davos likes these guys so I like them too but I don't really care about either of these two houses um John has no real claim to the throne in the books as far as we're aware Daenerys is a bitch so yeah but I was I watched the most of the last season with Vince um, uh, his sister, a housemate of ours, and his girlfriend, and the ones who hadn't read the books were just like, "Yeah, well, what do you think? Who who are you rooting for?" It's just like, oh, I just don't care anymore. Yeah, I just I just want to see it over and done with, and then I want to read the books. Yeah, it seems weird to say about a show that's got dragons and people coming back from the dead and and tits and violence and the like that the show's lost any subtlety that it did have. Certainly, when it comes to kind of plotting. You know, it wasn't a subtle show, but it was a show with certain layers anyway, certain depths and and intricacy, a certain amount of in- intricacy in how the various plot lines were kind of intertwined. And now there's essentially two plots left, perhaps, maybe three at a push. Uh, and and this, again, it's natural as you kind of come to come to a conclusion. But other TV shows have done this stuff equally well and better as they kind of approach the end. Spectacle has kind of superseded, you know, subtlety of any kind. So, so yeah, much much like yourself, I'm kind of like I just want to see the rest of it and then kind of get it out of the way and then kind of read the read the next two books and kind of go back to the uh, um, the story that I kind of got involved with in the beginning. Yeah. Did you read the books before you saw the TV show? Much like a lot of people, I was introduced to Game of Thrones by the TV show. I watched season one, uh, didn't know anything about it. And then in the ten months between season one and season two, I read all the books. Right. Okay. And I think by that point, Dance of Dragons hadn't come. Yeah, hadn't come out. No, Dance came out at the same time as season one, or right at the end of season one. Remember there being a gap between me reading Feast of Crows and uh, uh, Dance of Dragons, but that was probably just because they waited the year before it got released in paperback in this country or whatever. So I, I took, took a bit longer to do that, but by the time I watched season two, I yeah I knew what was happening. So yeah, most people I know kind of went, "Ooh, what's this Song of Ice and Fire stuff? Let's get into the books," and read them. What was it, 2011 to 2012? 
kind of round about then, yeah. which was uh, the end of the first. Yeah, around the second season, everyone uh, the, the books were everywhere, kind of. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I was after the first was, season came out, they launched them all again, didn't they? They gave new paperback copies yeah. everywhere and everything. Yeah. yeah. I used to commute to Glasgow. Um, I commute to Glasgow for about six or seven months, and there was a point where I think everyone in the same carriage was reading one of the Song of Ice and Fire books. It was right at the tip of the kind of zeitgeist at that point. So I kind of read it along with everyone else. But no, I'd never heard of it before. I wasn't a big fantasy kind of reader. Still not, really, because I'd see them as... Sci-fi, if I'm honest. Yeah, I'd see them less as fantasy books, as kind of more kind of like political kind of thrillers almost. <laughs> they just have to have dragon, dragons. Side dragons, I think that's that's fair. They're very much side dragons. Yeah. Whereas the, they're not so much side dragons anymore. When the first season came out, I remember people trying to encourage others to watch the show people who would never watch a kind of fantasy show or anything that has any kind of hint of you know the supernatural or fantasy or whatever still remember people using phrases like you should watch it it's kind of like a medieval version of the wire and people kind of saying oh but it's all about the politics it's all about the relationships and it's really complicated and it's just like you like the wire right oh you should definitely watch game of thrones and just ignore the fact that there's you know that it's set in a different world or whatever because it's not really about that and there's certainly people i know that kind of went mm, okay we'll give it a go and then we're hooked because well certainly first season there's nothing overly uh supernatural in it it's kind of the dragons don't pop up to the end after all i remember when i first was told to watch it and i basically refused i was like mm, not really a big fan of the whole kind of fantasy stuff because the way they described it to me it was just dragons and like all this stuff and I was like mm, nah mm. and it was only because of like the complex kind of character development they had in it I was actually interested yeah and I had Sean uh, Bean um, yeah. yeah and it had Sean Bean in it but, I mean yeah. to be fair it was a massive spoiler for me putting Sean Bean in there because I knew it was going to pass away at some point but I mean apart from that it was just kind of it was really well done it was fantastically done and it made you actually hate some people it made you hate Cersei Mm. And Joffrey, he made you properly just go fuck you, you little shit. Whereas <laughs> now, to be honest, if Cersei was to win, oh, that's all right. Do you know what I mean? Like she's she's been through enough now, bless her. I kind of just want her just to like tell her it's okay. Like she's literally lost a whole family. No wonder she's a bit pissed off. I think we can all agree that the only thing we want to see at the end of the show is we want to see Davos Seaworth on the Iron Throne. Oh yeah, that's. I most... quite like. Um, I'm, I'm quite a fan of Tyrion on the throne still. Oh no. Or Varys. He's a dick. <laughs> Var- I could deal with Varys. Yeah. Varys is pragmatic. You could deal with Varys, but not Tyrion. No. Tyrion's a bad man. He's a bad person. He's all right. No, he's not, Peel. You just haven't read the books. Yeah. He's true. Yeah, he's I'm going to pull the elitism card on you. <laughs> yeah, that you are. This is like, Bowl of Brown. Look that up. <laughs> Bowl of Brown. Someone wrote a song about him, and Shay, and he had Bron cut him up, and... It's like sell him as meat to the shops that cook soup in Flea Bottom. <laughs> yeah, and that was book two. He got worse. So uh, Tyrion's not the man that the TV show portrays him to be. He makes him out like he's a lovely guy. They, they've whitewashed Tyrion. In a... Does he get better towards the end of the books, or does he still remain a Kevin. in all of them? He becomes a bitter shell of a man Yeah. when he leaves King's Landing. <laughs> he hasn't really done anything to redeem himself. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah, because they're, they're further, aren't they? So they've kind of yeah. gone, yeah, he meets this person, has a lovely time, and look, everyone's happy together. He's got the beginnings of a redemptive arc in the TV yeah. show. He's getting to the point where 
by the end of the show, if he's still alive, he'll he'll more likely to be he'll be more likely to look like a good guy in the eyes of the audience. But by the time you hit the end of what Dance uh, Dance of Dragons, um, that hasn't happened in any way, shape, or form. Really, he's a slave and he's met Jorah, I think. Yeah, he has. He's met Jorah. The last thing that happens in the books so far is that Jon Snow dies. Yeah, I know that. That's like that's, where they're up to. That's like the last page in A Dance of Dragons, if I remember right. I think Jon Snow stabbed, yeah. Pretty much. No, the, no the, the last bit is Daenerys, I think. I think that's the last chapter, where she gets found by the Dothraki. But they're like the last two things that happen. Yeah. Oh, no, because the prologue is where Kevin gets killed. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the epilogue. Where yeah. Daenerys kills him or whatever. And yeah, but go. they're the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's the end. So that's how far back you've kind of got to go. You've got to go back at least two seasons, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm very. I definitely don't think they're all going to get written. I really don't. I reckon that's going to be. Well, we can be elitist forever, then. Exactly. Look forward to it. So, in in answer to your question, Matt Edelman, your lovely Christmas question. Well, as we've established, it wasn't a question, but those are my thoughts on season seven of the Game of Thrones TV show. I don't think it's anywhere near among the best television that's been on this year. Kind of think it's up there with some of the best TV that I've seen this year. To be fair. Oh, okay. And again, some of the TV I watch um, does consist of my Nightmare Neighbor next door as like a kind of regular fixed viewing. So, I mean, it's not really that hard to beat, beat some of the shit I've watched this year. Drama-wise? I mean, Hollyoaks isn't your top five, right? No, well, funnily <laughs> enough, I'm an Emmerdale man, to be honest, Tony. That's much better. Oh. Yeah, you, got, you know, you live in the villages, you get used to this kind of life. And I want to see a village where everyone hates each other more than uh, this village. Wow, drama. Really? Good drama wise, I recently I've been watching season two of The Crown, uh, the Netflix show about Queen Elizabeth II, and I know what's going to happen. You know, I know the broad strokes of it. I'm pretty familiar with how the story ends, but it's been very, very good. It's very well shot and acted and cast. Matt Smith is fantastic as Philip, especially oh, he is, in the first he? season. Like some of the stuff he comes out with when he meets various leaders it's just kind of like ah, yep he's done that recently as well he's like Philip has definitely said that before yeah <laughs> that's a lovely mask you've got on there that's his crown oh <laughs> 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 still it's lovely and just kind of like he's definitely said that and there's definitely been a policy about it and you know he's just gone ha ha fuck you <laughs> <laughs> he, he can get away with this stuff because why the hell not it's Philip fuck it I don't care he's, at least he's fun He's just having a laugh, isn't he now? Just like, eh. Done my time, did my stuff. Just going to have a bit of fun with this. Oh, when you get a chance, by the way, Dave, um, for generic comedies, you know, like the generic comedies you kind of put on in the background and you just kind of have what you're doing and stuff. Yeah. You know, the stuff that doesn't require focus, basically. Uh, oh, like, like a nice gaming sitcom where you got your game on, you're playing away, and you've got some lols in the background. That's yeah, what? maybe yeah. like American Office, things like that. Or Brooklyn yeah. Nine. Simple laughs, but yeah, effective. Shits Creek or Schmitz Creek, or I think it's Shits Creek because it's, it's, <laughs> Shits Creek is quite good anyway. It's got Eugene Levy in. Uh, mm-hmm. The first three seasons are on Netflix. It's got him and his son, and it's basically about some rich people who lose all their money and have to go and live in a shithole. really? So it's delightful. <laughs> you know, it, it's a it's a proper culture clash thing, and it's got Eugene Levy in, so it's amusing. So everyone's happy. Just Eugene Levy doing Eugene Levy. Yeah, and he is good at it. He is. So that that's our take on TV from 2017. <laughs> yeah, we've. <laughs> in, in summary, 
Tony wasn't impressed with Game of Thrones because it moved too quickly. I think they discovered time travel, and Dave doesn't care because they killed off his favourite houses. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty good summary. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so the next question was from Darren Hazelden, and he said, "Why combo?" Which also isn't a question because he didn't add a question mark. So so far we're zero for two. Should we just skip it? Then? It's, not, it's not got a question mark on it. Should we just skip it? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's, it's it's two words. It's not really. Is combo even a thing at the? Is that like the that's the combo, combo there, is a thing right, at the it? moment? Yeah. I've not really noticed it being that much of a pain. I've, I've, you know, I played against one and one, so I can't hear after that. If I can beat a combo deck, then you can. It's true. And salty Matt Herdman was salty, so it was a pleasure to watch. Mm. I have no idea what I was doing or what he was doing. I was just, alright, I'm just going to keep playing my characters and making power charts. Just literally no idea. That's the beauty of um, the team event, where we can just say, "Peel, flip these plots in this order, make lots of power challenges." <laughs> and watch out for jumpers. So that's done. pretty much what I did. Lots. And that was it. And he, and he did the plot line and he won it. And it was lovely. Yeah, I had a plot line all figured out, didn't I, before? And we even went through it. And we're like, right, play this one, this one, and this one. And occasionally flip this one for lols. So I did. <laughs> and you should be done by that point of this. In this matchup, you should you should be fine. You either won at this point or you've done it wrong. Like, it's pretty much the, yeah. the, the advice I was given. Good. good old rush decks. I like a rush deck. Okay, as as very briefly on the combo topic, Tony, do you think it's a problem in less than 20 seconds? No. I, uh, less than 20 seconds. <laughs> or a bit longer if you feel you need it. It's not a problem as long as, much like in first edition, uh, FFG do kind of respond to it, at least, at least in part. Part of the, the fun of playing one of these games is you try and break the game as much as you possibly can. You try and find loops, you try and find combos. In first edition, FFG were responsive in kind of be it restricted list or, or however it was they did it. That as soon as a loop came up, as soon as something really horrible broken came up, they responded to it and kind of fixed it. Um, there doesn't appear to have been any response in relation to the way the meta is just now. I would say there needs to be a little, tiny little bit of response. But so far, I'm quite enjoying the creativity of uh, what people are coming up with. I agree. I agree. I'm not sure it's a major issue. Um, and it's not at the level of some of the obscene first edition combo decks, like the Jojen deck, where they could win marshalling turn one, and you couldn't do it. And, it. and it would take 45 minutes for them to win marshalling turn one. But luckily, we'll never see that kind of deck again because of the uh, the changes in, in rules. But... Uh, yeah. Do you, do you have a particular fix in mind? Would you like FFG to do anything particular to it? To be honest, I'm I'm actually going to give FFG the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to just presume that cards that have already been designed will kind of move into a slot that kind of fixes a lot of the stuff in there. There's already a couple of cards that are kind of on the way or about to come out that kind of you know do kind of work very well against uh, against some of these combo decks. As you say, there isn't a deck that's come out that you don't get a chance to respond to, whereas there was in first edition and they had to be dealt with. So you have the opportunity to respond. You might have a limited opportunity to respond, so just make it count. But the creativity in, in how people are kind of dealing, what people are coming up with is quite amusing at the moment, even though at the core they kind of based around the, they're kind of based around a couple of cards. But there's only a couple of cards that are important. It's only a couple of cards that need to be printed to kind of work against that. No, I think it's. Uh, I think we give it a couple of months and see see how it goes. Silver bullets, though. 
Silver bullets are bad cards, we all know that. No, that's true. <laughs> the meta naturally shifts, and if the meta gets annoyed with the persistence of a particular kind of deck, then let the meta shift in the other direction. There was at least one card in first edition printed in direct response to the prolificness of things like Knights of the Hollow Hill. And that was uh, Peter Baelish, if you remember him. I can't remember what he did, but he did something to do with Council Events. He, you, nailed on, you just nailed on to Council on Events, if I remember it. That sounds plausible. Um, yeah, but by the time he came out, all the Knights of the Hollow Hill decks had been hit with restrictions. And he was unplayable. So, <laughs> that was sad. But he's so obviously... Like if you if you track it back, you know a year before that, nights of the Hollow Hills everywhere, or nine months or whatever it was, mm. he was such an obvious answer to event heavy decks. And then by the time he came out, it was an aggro matter. Yeah. It was like, oh, okay, fine. This wasn't my idea. I can't remember where I read it, but someone came up with the idea that if you want to hit combo without hurting anything or without an extensive restricted list, you put Annals of Castle Black, Banner of the Rose, and House Tyrell on the restricted list which essentially stops any green cards being played with annals which removes all of the combo decks consistency and then if you want to play your Cersei jumper decks you can if you want to play your hyper viper deck you can you just lose all your consistency mm. and you can build consistency in other ways like you can still play banner of the rose for the draw events you just can't do the big turn where it doesn't matter what you were drawn because you get to draw it all again and if you can do it, if you can do it without annals, great. It also allows you still to play annals in decks that just want to play annals because annals is a good card. Like Targaryen decks can still play it, or whatever. And uh, the only real casualty is main house Tyrell decks that aren't combo decks that want to play annals. I think that's a small price to pay. So I'm not sure it is an issue, and I would definitely rather the meta shook itself out at this point. Yeah. But I think that's the most elegant way of fixing it, without putting lots of cards. I mean, at the moment it means nothing if they're the only three cards on the list. I'm also in favour of any restricted list being pod-based, rather than rather than the big over, overwhelming restricted list we had in first edition. So if, for instance, Tyrion and Tywin were deemed too oppressive in this day and age, they would be part of a separate list where you could play Annals and Tywin... And yes. you could play Tyrion and Banner of the Rose, but you wouldn't be able to play Tyrion and Tywin. Yeah. Or Banner of the Rose and Annals. So uh, uh, pods are restricted lists. Mm. And they, they that was suggested at the end of first edition. But by that point, there were so many cards on the list, it kind of just worked anyway. And there were only two or three cards which were effectively soft banned. And they were mostly cards which people wouldn't have played anyway. Because they were only on there for their combo potential. Like Threat from the East. No one was playing that in a serious deck. Well, the interesting thing will be that, you know, I think a lot of people forget that cycles are designed, I think, aren't the cycles designed in pairs anyway? So that the rest of this cycle, the cycle that's just started, will need to kind of play out. It's only going to be around about the beginning of the next cycle that uh, that FFG will be able to respond in card form. The, the nature of the LCG model is that it takes a while for them to be able to properly respond with, and properly shift the meta with the cards that they're releasing. So I'm tempted, I'm still tempted to sit out the rest of the cycle without without any intervention and then see what, see what happens then. I think that's fair. Mm. 
a reasonable and proportionate decision there from Mr. Makos. Ridiculous, isn't it? Fantastic. Lovely, all-encompassing Christmas decision. Lovely. Goodwill to all men is my message. <laughs> and women. And women. Just like Cersei. Brienne, of course. Yeah. Both competent combo players in their own right. So the next question is from James Marsden, and I believe it's aimed at you, Phil. Oh. Uh, because he says, who won the Starlek photo comp? comp? Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a question. It has a question mark and an exclamation mark. But unfortunately, it's already been answered by Tony. And Tony said, listen to episode 78. But would you like to reiterate, for those who haven't listened to episode 78, who won the Starlek photo competition? In the end, I must admit, it was Kev. Because that was the only one where everyone was, well, I say not, you know, I'm sure there was drunkness involved on the other pictures, but Mate topless laying on a bench at whatever o'clock in the bloody morning is pretty much the envision of what I want people to do at Starlek. Job done. Yeah. Rowan was incensed. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy Rowan's artistic piece. If he could just write captions for all photos in future, mm. then that would be fantastic. If we ever go into, like, print and we need someone to, uh, caption our photos to go with our articles, then uh, we'll get Rome to do it. Yes, yeah, we would. Because his caption was beautiful, but it wasn't... It was a drunken, like, I'm done kind of thing. This is what I've achieved. This is my moment. This is my perfect moment with the bench. Kind of thing. Yeah. I, th- I think we'll make quite a good, um, like, bi-monthly periodic journal. Mm. Not, not, not a magazine. We're, we're better than that. A journal. We're not, we're not, uh, we're not Peer magazine review. type of folk, are we? Um, no, no. We, we, we are very strict, and we, we will literally do photos, and that's it. Yeah. Peer reviewed, fact checked by Heinz. Lovely. Rowan doing the captions on the, uh, on the diagrams. Get Machin to write about Exodia. Lovely. In the fourth quadrant. Prince not dead. <laughs> it's not. It's okay. uh, making a comeback, should we say? I agree. Like vinyl. And, look, he, he say that because uh, it is Christmas time, of course. A couple, of, two Christmases ago, I had you for Secret Santa Peel mm-hmm. for the the Throne Secret Santa that we do in our nice elitism group, and I got you a custom house card. But what I wanted to get you was an episode of Band of Behind the Throne on vinyl. <laughs> but it was just too expensive for a Secret Santa present. How much does it cost out of interest to put things on? Not as, not as much as you'd expect, but it is probably like 25 quid or something. Okay, that's, that's... It was over the limit. Yeah. And it was also way less practical than the gift I actually got you. Which yes, it doubled was. as promotional art for the podcast. So which has done everything, yeah. Uh, but that, that was a, a potential gift. Um, but it was pretty much like, if I wanted half an hour, it was like 20 quid for the vinyl. Ooh. Well, and Lars was like, that's not even a whole episode, so it's quite... I'd, I'd have to edit one down, and it's just... But yeah, it would have been cool. So, you know, I don't love you enough for that, basically. That's the moral of that story. You should have printed, like, 500 of them, because, you know, they become cheaper the more you, uh, you know, the more you put out. That's true. I mean, if there's a market out there. Cost does, yeah. uh, does shrink, so you could have, you know, you could have made 500 of them and uh, distributed them, them to uh, subscribers. Maybe we'll have to ask people what their favourite episode is that isn't last year's Christmas episode. Yeah. And and do it. Maybe on like a, a double gatefold EP. Yeah. With art in the middle. Top. Um, You know, the lyrics to Let It Bleeds, that kind of thing. Oh, man. Yeah, I was a charity single, you know, Save Kids in Africa. If we, print, if we put it up as a Christmas single next year, right, 
and uh, and we pay for the, the record distribution ourselves, we can do a Bob Geldof on this and make a ton of money. Yeah. Yeah, for charity. Yeah. Charity for retired Bad Behind the Thrones hosts. Yeah. So, <laughs> Craven. <laughs> I like to think there's a there's a home. <laughs> where all the moment the... it's very empty, but one day we'll all be very happy there. <laughs> yeah, we'll just all be chilling. Oh, what's there? Well, you can play as much Thrones as you want. Okay, so, moving swiftly on. Matt Chandler asks us, if the Christmas number one of 1993, does anybody know what that is without looking at the question? Oh, I'm going to take a guess. Because we did we did do this in the quiz two years ago. Was it too... No, it's not to become one that's too soon. Was it that really crap one for the 90s boy band who wore the chains? I can't remember that. Uh, do you mean, um, is it Another Day or something? I never knew that was a Christmas number one until Danielle played it at every Christmas party we have and now now I, I know it very well yeah yeah well 93 peel was Mr. Blobby by Mr. Blobby oh, I do. Uh, and you should have known that really being a three-year-old at the time you probably would have been pretty into that Mm-hmm. I'm um, pretty sure I remember my auntie dressing up as Mr. Blobby for a period. She had a costume. Not quite sure why, but you know, happens. Jesus Christ, really? That might explain, yeah. that might explain a lot. Are you aware of Jim will paint it, Tony? I am. I am very aware of Jim will paint it. <laughs> Have you seen the Mr. Blobby one he did, where it's Mr. Blobby painting the walls of his house with Noel Edmund's skin? That's right. No. <laughs> what? It's yeah. They will, that, that, that's what it is. With uh, Jack Whitehouse in a cage, watching it. Obviously. <laughs> it, it it's mm-hmm. very odd. For those who haven't seen it, check out Jim Will Paint It. It's disturbing and wonderful. Yeah, he's good. Um, so, Mr. Blobby, Peel. Yeah. If Mr. Blobby was a card, the song, what card would it be? Much and more. Can you elaborate on why? Why? Because Mr. Blobby was never... He was never against... Um... He was always friendly to everyone, and much more is is a choice of where you can be friendly to everyone, um, and that's what's nice about it. He does live life to the fullest, doesn't he? He does, which is what you do when you play three X much more. Yeah, and when you draw four cards and choose one for you and one for your opponent, that's just that's just you know, it's getting everyone involved, and that's what Mister Blobby did, regardless of whether you were you know in a wheelchair at the time, working class, not working class. Uh, you know, Noel Edmonds, exactly. You know, all these things. He, he'd get you involved and he'd um, really try and get you happy. And that's that's the score of it. And that's that's really what A Gift for the Arbor Red is for, to make everybody a little bit happier with the world. I understand that. I also, I also enjoy that your, uh, your insight into the British class system there, working class and not working class. <laughs> Sorry, you carry on, Tony. Excuse me if... I'm thinking of a different Mr. Blobby. Yes. But I remember Mr. Blobby being a massive, chubby, pink pain in the arse. Well, he was, Graven. Different generations, Tony. Uh, Yeah, I guess. At the time, it was Mr. Blobby, and he had a single, it was lovely, and he used to run round, and everyone was happy, and, you know, he he was an icon for the people who liked Noel's house party. He was an icon for something, I'll give you that. (laughs) Have you seen the pictures of Blobbyland? Oh, yes. You mean the most depressing, scary yes. thing I've ever seen in my life? <laughs> it's just been abandoned. 
It's so terrifying. It's freaky as hell. One of the scariest thing on the internet, and it's just pictures of something in real life. Yeah. <laughs> like when you look at it, it's kind of like, is this, is this like, you know, is this Chernobyl? No, it's not. Uh, it's, it's in the south of England. Sorry, or something. Yeah. So, are you saying, Peel, that? when Mr. Blobby ran in to hug Noel during Noel's house party, all he wanted to do was draw Noel's four cards and give him one. I think so. I mean, Noel was a gambler. A gambling man, I think. I mean, these are all assumptions and not legally binding. I think Noel would be up for a bit of card game, if, if you ask me. I think he loves a bit of cards. You don't do that many seasons of deal or no deal without blowing your head off, without having some kind of distraction. See, I think he'd be more into something like Pokemon or Snap, with the inherent randomness. Because obviously, deal or no deal, it's just random, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's it's uh. Would would Noel be able to to deal with the uh, you know the the intellectual capacity required to play proper Thrones? Uh, maybe that's why he runs away from Mr. Blobby sometimes. So Mr. Blobby's just gonna smash him with a with like a Martel control deck, and. He, all, all Noel wants to do is play Night's Watch Defense. He's like, I just want to play my wall and I just want to chill here and have a lovely conversation. No, deal with this. You're getting whooped. Face it. Okay. Well, there's a follow-up question, Peel. So uh, keep okay. Mr. Blobby in mind. In fact, keep Mr. Blobby in mind for the rest of the day, uh, especially when you go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear God. So Peel, do you feel the songs claim that? His influence will spread throughout the land. Stands up to scrutiny, looking back on it. What, Mr. Blobby's? I'm concerned. The song lyrics went this kind of deep. Do you believe that his influence has spread through the land? Is it is it still spreading? I don't think it is still spreading. Somehow, I think the influence has somewhat stopped. I think if it hasn't stopped already, it probably should. And anyone trying to get it going again should probably not. Who wrote those lyrics? Like. They're kind of strange. One would assume Noel Edmonds. It's the natural conclusion here. Um, Noel Edmonds did it. We're not entirely sure why. We are curious to find out, though. So if anyone has a contact number, please do let us know. Um, these questions need to be asked. Not just for me, but for everyone. It's a, it's a weird song. His philosophy of life will steer him through. No bridge too far. He's got a car. <laughs> Lovely. Lovely ride there. <laughs> Mr. Blobby, you're the guy who puts the do in do or die. Your deeds are guaranteed to stupefy. Where did you find these lyrics, man? They're well, disturbing. Googled lyrics. You know, they're, they're just digital. They're not internet. friendly lyrics. They're not like Mr. Blobby's friendly, going to give you a cuddle. It's Mr. Blobby sounds like a vengeful motherfucker who's going to track you down. Do you think you can get away from him? No, because he's got a car. Wee, like, oh. This is what he says when that happens, Peel. He says, no dodge, no doubt, no backing out. Actual quote. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <And then> no! <laughs> it turns out he might be a bit of a racist, where it says, Blobby, Mr. Blobby, stay loyal to your Blobby pedigree. <laughs> <laughs> Why? So he allowed to, like... Oh, I don't even want to know. Yep, so that's quite sinister. So uh, thank you, Matt Chandler, for reminding us about that. We had conveniently excised that from our childhood memories. 
Oh God! Yes. Uh, you'd never get that on TV nowadays, for Christ's sake. Like that—that's <laughs> like what? No wonder there's a whole generation of millennials who are a little bit angry and fucked up mentally because you exposed us to this and gave us biker mice from Mars. <laughs> like, what did you expect to happen? We were like the experimental generation where they just went, ah, TV and media. Let's see what we can get away with. Yeah, there we go. What else? You just poke up the sticks. It's not the housing crisis and the fact that we'll never retire. It's Blobby. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> blobby fucked us up. Yeah, you've exposed us to this and you exposed us to Spice Girls. You know, you did it all. You've, you've warped our pretty little well, mind. Spice Girls are a good thing, Peel. I'm pretty sure we're... Don't don't want to upset our listeners. Don't pull the veil back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. You know, when we were kids, we effectively grew up uh, learning to trust people in giant pink spotty suits, which is what we probably... Well, we probably should have been trained to run away from them. I hope for Starlight next year that we can get Whammer a Mr. Blobby suit. I reckon he'd wear it. Well, this year he wore, like, a Christmas suit with Christmas trees on it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I found a website that sells all them. <laughs> I thought it was just a website with pictures of Whammer on it. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so our next question is from uh, Lewis, and he says, here are a couple of Christmas-related questions. And as soon as you finish the first one, you can imagine what the second one is going to cover if you're if you remember Lewis's previous questions to the cast. Question number one: Do you think that George R. R. Martin was somehow thinking of the three wise men while concepting the Blood Riders that go across the desert to follow the Promised One? So, are the Blood Riders a reference to the Magi that went to see Jesus? In theory, probably, but only because they were done first. If that makes sense. In a way, you could kind of associate everything back to um, that kind of story. For example, you could probably link in Pulp Fiction quite easily. Well, Pulp Fiction is all Bible quotes. Exactly. And a gimp. We see, this is what I mean. Like, you know, and in the Bible, you're not allowed to, to do that unless it's involuntary. To gimp. <laughs> I'm going to cut to the chase and actually say, yeah, I think it, I yeah. think that's exactly what he meant. I agree with Lewis that obviously George R. R. Martin was thinking of the, uh, the Magi when thinking of the Blood Riders. I mean, it's it's obvious. It's right there. There's three of one thing, which therefore lines straight up with three of another thing. That's how that's how things work. That's how allegories work. So, yeah, I'm with them. I'm genuinely shocked that Peel took so long to almost say yes. Because as soon as I read it, my answer was yes. Yes. Obviously. Very clear. Um, and so, question number two, he says, since you all agree yes, which we did, <laughs> broadly, I ask... Is the reason Ricaro is so bad is because he got associated with Balthazar. He's the one that gave the useless myrrh instead of something useful to the baby Jesus. I would be 100% with him on this if it wasn't for the fact that he's made a schoolboy error there in saying that myrrh is useless. Myrrh is very, very useful. In fact, I mean... Not in 2017, it's not. What? I don't need, you know, any gummy resin of whatever the fucking stuff is that you get from a fucking... Oh, how quickly can I scroll down Wikipedia and actually make this sound like <laughs> I this off the top of my own head? Antiseptic in mouthwashes, gargles and toothpaste. Yeah, I mean, it's used <laughs> for medicinal purposes. <laughs> and especially in traditional Chinese medicine. And it's, in fact, its uses are very similar to those of frankincense thereby making uh, a ridicule of your entire argument. Although why he didn't just give some more frankincense, I don't know. 
<laughs> I've also got you frankincense. I'm so sorry. Here's the receipt. <laughs> <laughs> but gold frankincense and more frankincense doesn't trip off the quite as well as gold frankincense and myrrh, I guess. Yeah. Oh, shit, we've got the same present. You, you take yours back. No, you take yours back. Oh, for fuck's sake. We've both travelled a long way. Surely we could have planned this before we left. Yeah, Kingsman, they don't think of that. They don't think they're used to having presents being given to them rather than them having to give presents to another king. Is he re-gifting the myrrh? <laughs> He's like, I've got this fucking myrrh. Yeah. What am I going to do with it? I'm a king. Other people deal with this. Wish I had some of that gold. I needed frankincense and I got given fucking myrrh. So, <laughs> oh, God. And I can't... Maybe I can do a swap with the other king. But no, they're not that good at gifting kings. No. And, yeah, having very briefly scanned the Wikipedia pages, myrrh can be used as perfume, incense, or medicine, and can be ingested with wine, whereas frankincense, that just seems to be perfume. And aromatherapy, which is just perfume medicine. So, yeah, myrrh's much better than frankincense. So I guess the answer is no. He must be the other one. I don't know what the other wise men are called. Anyone know off the top of their head? I thought it was Huey, Louis, and Balthazar, right? (laughs) <laughs> no, it's it's Balthazar, who was a Babylonian scholar. Uh-huh. It was Melchior. Of course it was. A okay. Persian scholar. <laughs> and it was Casper, the friendly ghost. <laughs> or indeed, an Indian scholar. <laughs> Trips off the tongue. And they're all saints, no shock there. There's a lovely little Bible lesson for our listeners there. Exactly. Done by three people who clearly haven't read much uh, Bible text. I, I watched the highlights on Match of the Day. Um, I tried one. tried watching it. You tried watching the Bible? Or Match of the Day? No, both. Well, Match of the Day is fine. I watched that anyway. But the Bible, you, there was actually, for a time, like an animated Bible series, which I swear we used to have to watch in school at one point. Yeah. Like, instead of going to church some days, it was just, here, watch this story about David being Goliath. Like, oh, all right, cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it was like a really badly made... I can't remember whether it was a cartoon like semi-live action semi-cartoon thing it was weird some of it was animated and then they're just throwing a random live action scene and you'd be like oh right. I, did, I did a bit of I, tr- I tried to read the bible while I was at university I thought it would be useful for my degree but then I got through Genesis and Cain and Abel got in an argument and then they went home to have sex with their wives but or actually know their wives was the, was the words but then you know they were the children of Adam and Eve, so I don't know where their wives came from. So that was kind of disgusting. Um, and then there were these three guys. Where did their wives come from? That doesn't... All right, yeah, it go was on. their sisters, Peel. It was their sisters. Oh, maybe they were... Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to... I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. There were, I think they were the children of Cain. I think he had three sons, and they were described as like, the first son was the man, the, the, the father of all those who played the lute. And the second son was the the father of all those who lived in tents. And I was just like, what? <laughs> what? That's really specific. <laughs> you boy, you are the father of all men who live in tents. Okay. Bad translations <laughs> of certain tribes that they founded. I was like, these are fantastic descriptions. <laughs> all of those who live in tents. Your other, your, your cousins, no, they, they live under the stars. But you, my children, <laughs> you, will, you will learn the art of putting up a tent. And it's not a pop-up tent either, it's a proper one. <laughs> no ground sheet. It's got posts and everything. <laughs> That's enough Bible for one one episode, I think. 
<laughs> Tune next week for my uh, my my take on Exodus. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ban all Bible quotes from this kind of regular thing ever. There's no more Bible talk. It happened. Okay. So Adam East's uh, next question was: Would we agree that Sansa One, presumably the Corset Sansa, yes, is the best card in the entire game? No. No. And if you don't agree, why are you lying? I'm not lying, it's just my opinion. Ooh. i got to show you, she's pretty good though, isn't she? No doubt about that, she's just not... Pretty saucy. And you know, we're here to give facts, right? Mm. She's in Star, so therefore cannot be the best card. She's good in Banner Banner Wolf as well. Is she? She's good. Oh yeah. Love a bit of uh, popping Ariane in in Dominance, putting Sansa into play. Getting that cheeky power out of nowhere. Lovely. I actually uh, listened back to the... um, the episode where Craven and I were discussing the corset Stark spoilers and Craven was gushing over Sansa and saying how gross she was and I just couldn't get over the fact that she was limit once per round <laughs> I was just like it's fucking bullshit like it just takes all the fun out of her <laughs> and I, I just couldn't deal with it at all whereas Peel misread it as there was no limit and was just like it's the best card ever it's ridiculous <laughs> yeah in that case, then, based on my previous statement, apparently I think she is the best card ever, so I'm going to run with it. Yeah. Oh, but that was when she had allegedly no limit, so... Yeah, but now she's got a limit. Put a limit on it. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. And they did, and, and it made me sad. If she had no limit, absolutely she'd be the best card in the entire game. Uh, I, I just wanted to be limit twice per round, because then there was there was room for you to use a card effect to stand her, which, you know, which is better than just standing like a renowned character. It was more interesting. Whereas, as it stands... Uh, or, or you like you may as well just not stand her, unless you're going to use Lady to stand her. You may as well just wait until the standing phase. The Lady was also one of the like one of the first attachments to come out for Stark, if I remember right. It was like first or second pack. I think it was the first pack, yeah. Suddenly it was like because it says on it, if it's Sansa, then stand her up. So you're like, oh, it's perfect for this card if it was more than once around. Sorry, Adam. It's a good card. Ain't the best card. We ain't lying. So, Adam comes back with a, a more serious question. Ooh. And that is, if you got to go away, I don't think I can take the pain, won't you stay another day? Which is a nice <laughs> callback to uh, earlier in the episode. Yeah. This is good, this is like a well-oiled machine on yeah. the part of our listeners. Nice. Christmas number one, 1994. 94, fantastic. You're one year up, Hill, that's pretty good. Yeah. Oh. You should have known this, you should have, you should know this. People could have asked, people did ask us this two years ago. It was a whole thing, don't you remember? Well, Mr. Blobby. No, when um, Will came on the show and asked us about all Christmas number ones from the nineties. Yeah, well, and we had some complaints because apparently that's not relevant. <laughs> <laughs> and, and well, people don't mind off-topic choice chat as like as it becomes off-topic through natural speaking. <laughs> Bringing someone on for a completely off-topic segment is over the line. It's too far. I like the the complaints. We had complaints. <laughs> it was a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, this is presumably I read this before I shredded all the complaints in front of Craven's eyes. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> but you've got to answer the question though. If you've got to go away, I mean, I don't think I can take the pain. Is kind of redundant to the question itself. But the question, if you strip it down to its basics, is if you've got to go away, won't you stay another day? And the answer to that is no, because. I've got to go, go away. Yeah. yeah. It, I guess it depends when you have to go. True. I mean, if you've got to go away in two days, then yeah, I'll stay another day. Because I don't go away. 
because I don't yeah. go away for two days. But if I've so, got to go that day, like that minute, yeah. you know, I'm not going to stay another day because I've got to go away. The thing is, I'd rather leave now because if I go in the morning, I'm going to have to get a peak train. It's going to cost more. It's an entirely ineffective idea. Yeah. No. It should be like, if you've got to go away, won't you stay till after 6.30? <laughs> maybe you, would you stay for dinner because um, generally that's an enticing offer would you stay for dinner then yeah. alright yeah I can eat Like this is a nice thing but if you've got to go away anyway you know, there's not really any option yeah. in it I don't think they have a say yeah. the supplementary so, question there is do you need to go today or tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> the answer to that will inform the answer to this question about whether you're staying for the day <laughs> If it is today, then I'm not happy about it. If, if it is tomorrow, we can have another day. How delightful. Yeah, it's all good. Thanks for asking. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, you're asking me to stay another day? That's really helpful, because I'm not going to tomorrow. <laughs> this is working out really conveniently. <laughs> These 17 lyrics have never been uh, analysed in such detail. <laughs> it's really good, because I didn't want to have to get a hotel at the station. Yeah. <laughs> if I could keep on your sofa, that would be lovely. Cheers. <laughs> well, I have access to some form of bed like yes that's fine then I'll stay if I'm sleeping on a sofa no bang out of order do you mind if I make myself a tea <laughs> do I get fridge privileges yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh dear okay thank you for that Adam um, John Bar- Darbro he asked a question which is very f- very close to our hearts and he says what from first ed should never come back actually the first time I read this is should come back but obviously we talk about it all the time so this is much better should never come back Mirror Reed. Mirror Reed will come back because she's a champ card. Oh, yeah, I'm not really fussed about her. Um, that's not what he asked. That's true. I'm saying she should never come back. I didn't mind her really. She was all right. She was quite, quite nice. And I'd like Shadows to come back. So if they're going to come back, that'd be uh, delightful. But no, the Red Viper. Maybe I hated him. I know that'd be an unpopular opinion because, uh, like you know. Half the people eat you, you know, the Red Viper is effectively like Marmite. You either love him or hate him, dependent on whether you played with him or played against him majoritively. Mm. Uh, and being the uh, playing against him for me, I'm, I'm not really a fan, and I'd rather he never came back to plague me ever again. I don't think I could take the pain. I don't want him to stay another day. <laughs> no. What about what about uh, what about you, Tony? What would you like to to not stay another day? What from first edition should never come back is plot rotation, and what from first edition should never ever come back is corset Brad Stark. <laughs> <laughs> You've skipped ahead to his uh, supplementary question, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, I, I I have, but for the purposes of comic timing. <laughs> yeah, I have to kind of skip that, but it's kind of the same question. Do you have some um, marital issues that you want to vent about on the cast, Tony? Possibly ones relating to. Uh, Plot abuse, dominance abuse, and Bran Stark abuse. Any marital issues I have relating to dominance abuse will be uh, talked about on a completely separate podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're busy on Thursday nights, of course. I, would, I think I was I was talking about this to someone the other day. The fact that plot rotation has come has kind of come back, but it's used plot rotation with all this kind of put cards into your used plot pile and stuff. Um, no plot rotation led to nothing but nothing but pain. I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure it will come back. It might come back in a, a gentle kind of dab of plot rotation with severe limits on it. Uh, I really do hope it doesn't ever come back. Um, not just because of my own marital issue. That was many years ago, and I, I never have to play that deck anymore. 
<laughs> not strictly true, is it? <laughs> I don't ever have to play it. <laughs> it's been played in a, a number of uh, events, but I've never had to play a, uh, kind of actually play against it. If I want to play against a, a brand start plot rotation deck, I could go upstairs and do that. My uh, my never comeback is Harren Hall. <laughs> Funny that. Both versions, but partic- particularly the prized one, actually, in fairness. That card was a, a nonsense mess of a card. Yes, it was. Agreed. In, te- in templating and ability, it was ridiculous. Kill a character to cancel a triggered effect. <laughs> in the same breath, what should come back is definitely favourable ground. Um, <laughs> uh, what should never, ever come back... Slander and lies. So slander and lies, yeah. No, actually, I'd quite like to see slander and lies, because I'm much less... A- Attached to my renowned characters in second edition than I was in first edition. Yeah, fair point. Because sure. there was in first edition, especially at that point, renowned characters. They were, there was it was a rush deck, wasn't it? Unless it was just the Viper on his own. Yeah, true. It was just a rush deck or Quentin. But but in that when I was playing that, like it was a barrow rush deck basically with the Viper, and they were quite vulnerable. And so the one turn of just spending the money was quite annoying. But now renowned characters are just not so much as they were a year ago. But they're just part of the course. And it's just, you just build a big board of lots of big renowned characters with uncountable saves. Have a bit of a punch. Go for it. Yeah. Um, so, what should never come back? Ever. Ever, ever, ever. And ever, never? Ever. Ever, ever? Ever. Ever. Forever, ever seems that long. Uh, or not too long. Anyway, um... Is. Ever come back. Is. Yeah. Never, ever, Peel. Never, ever. Not, not should never come back, like the Red Viper, who might, who, you know, he may come back. And uh, some people will be happy to see him. What should never ever come back? First edition, but I mean CCG edition. <laughs> Edward Stark, because uh, <laughs> he is overpowered. I love to, to see that Edard. He is so powerful. I like that Edard. <laughs> he's a very good Edard. That's the beauty of him. But he's overpowered to fuck. For those who don't, are you aware of uh, CCG Edard? If that's the one that has to be removed from the game at the beginning of turn five. Or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm with deadly, renowned, and all that. Yep. Renowned, deadly. If you have two or more plot cards in your used pile, Edard gains plus three strength. Yep. Does not kneel to attack or defend. If you have five or more plots in your used pile, remove them from the game. Yeah. Oh, he's a great card. That's a fantastic theme. Not kneeling to attack and defend, and having plus having five strength and renowned and deadly for what three rounds? Yeah. Silly. Yep. Absolutely silly. Bang, 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 I'm through. If that came into second edition as it's printed in that game, you know, yeah. you'd all be fucked. And everyone would say, what is deadly? Yeah. What is deadly? Well, basically, when you when you defend it, yeah, yeah, you got to kill him now. Fuck, yeah, and he can do that twice. And if you give him an icon, he can do it three times. And if you're really bored and you fancy making two two challenges uh, instead of one, then but be my guest. You know, there's plots that can play around this. My never ever come back is the longship maiden Spain. I, I love that though. I was just thinking. Uh, I was actually just thinking the old way, but yeah, the maiden Spain. Yeah. I was thinking, what is the the truly most NPE deck from first edition? And I think it's the maiden Spain. And if you if you think of what basically it it plays like builders where the key component can't be killed, and there you go. And you start with it in play because it's a fucking house of dreams. Location. It's so beautiful. <laughs> anyway. It, when it the janky version that you took to Norwich Peel, that was beautiful mm. because it played all the nonsense cards to abuse it. Yes. The actual efficient version, which only ran one of those nonsense cards, was horrible. Yes. Yes. So, I can imagine if it was playing being played efficiently, then it would be horrible. 
if it's being played just for fun, then you get to trigger all the fun stuff and go, ha ha Tell you what should never ever come back. It's a little bit of a cheat. Is the Green Seer's Raven. Oh, yeah. I loved the Green Seer's Raven, the blue bird. Because it would cancel every single plot on the fucking planet. <laughs> I, had, I had a great game at Starlek where uh, I ended up with it in my sub suboptimal opening hand. And I sat, sat, you know, I sat against my opponent who's playing Barrow Hollow Hill. And you had mm. said to me that the Barrow Hollow Hill from the previous night had been running city plots. Correct. <laughs> and city plots are really grim against Doran Solar because on turn four they can blow up Solar. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the guy said to, he was just like, "This is my deck. I borrowed it from Dave, Dave." And I was like, "Oh, so I know your plot deck. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm going to keep this bluebird in my hand, <laughs> and I also happen to have the card in my hand, which allows me to recur cards from my discard pile. <laughs> so nice. let's go cancel all the plots and draw two cards. Okay. So friend of the show, John Berenger Webb, just sound a bit like Stanley's name, so I had to say friend of the show. He says, "Since House of the Red Door." is clearly a references a reference to Santa's Grotto. Yeah. What do you think will be the best deck featuring a bearded fellow to utilize this agenda? And what other Christmassy cards can you fit in the deck? Ooh. Mm. A bearded fellow. I mean Now I'm trying to think of the artwork. All the best beards are in Greyjoy though. They are. Well, they, oh yeah, there we go. Greyjoy. They certainly were they were in the first edition anyway. I'm not pretty sure the new one, Euron, hasn't got a beard, and I know for a fact Theon hasn't got a beard, or he hasn't got a beard in this edition, that's what I mean, the art, I'm thinking, of the one that's available. I'm pretty sure he has, he might have a goatee, which, actually, that would count, yeah, right. Goatee is still a beard, don't beard shame. No, I'm not beard, you know what I mean. Doesn't the core set old bear Mormon look a bit like Santa? Yes, he does. There you go. Yeah. Night's Watch is a terrible idea for kind of Christmas, (laughs) because... They don't give you anything. They give you a sense of pride of an, pride and accomplishment when you uh, when you beat them. Yeah. They also give you a sense of great sadness while you try and beat them. <laughs> it's, it, well, it's, it's very true. It's, it's not really what you want at Christmas time. You want gifts. I, I am getting a little sad thinking about it. Yeah. You want you want gifts. You want um, Martel de- Martel decks give you lots of lovely attachments, but then they take off as much as they give you. You know what I mean? They give you a card and then they take an icon away, so... Well, that's very biblical, isn't it? They give it and they give it, they take it away. So, that's really Christmassy. Yeah. I mean, Stark, obviously, are kind of white and Christmassy. But they're quite miserable and boring as well, so... <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot of snow in both Stark cards and Night's Watch cards. So, presumably... We're going to be taking one of those locations. I would imagine so. Martel's not not really that Christmassy, you know. Despite the gift theme, which I am I am a fan of. Mm-hmm. For me, I think the Frozen Shore. Okay. Because that's a Wildlings agenda. Oh, that's a Wildlings uh, location, and it's got snow in it, which is nice. Mm-hmm. When you do something good, everyone stands up again to have another little party, which is very Christmassy. Uh, and of course, it has one of the most Christmassy cards in the game. Has a wildling theme, uh, King Beyond the Wall, as a uh, Tony's wife, as she is always known, mm-hmm. um, uh, said was particularly Christmassy because Mance has fingerless gloves, and of course, fingerless gloves are the most Christmassy thing you can have. And why are they Christmassy? Because they're from Dickens. Yeah. <laughs> the Kensian, the Kensian gloves. <laughs> Obviously, the the most present-based cards in the game 
are two Night's Watch cards. One called Brandon's Gift and one called The New Gift. Ah. Because they're gifts. Brandon's Gift just gets you further gifts at a knockoff price. <laughs> it's like a cheap market. It's like a pound store. Whereas The New Gift, I think it's called The New Gift, properly gets you cards and gets you gold and malarkey. I think The New Gift is a very Christmassy card. But they're giving you gifts for yourself. They're not giving you gifts to your opponent. No. I mean, not, neither is the standing wildlings and raising the claim, but... <laughs> so that argument falls down a bit. Far from it. It's taking even more away. <laughs> it's yeah. less charitable as it goes up. They're redistributing it to the people who need it most at Christmas. The people without a home. The free folk. Okay, then. <laughs> the Night's Watch event, Broken Vows, because that gives a stronger character to your opponent, and you take a shittier character from them. So ultimately, the net gain is on your opponent's side, right? Yes. Is that what it does? Makes sense to me. It does, yeah. You get a small character, you give them a big character. You get someone of equal or lower printed cost, don't you? So you might get an equally big character. You might do, but you know. But the gesture of giving that character away in the first place to be willing to receive someone of lower value is a very charitable Christmas thing to do. Oh, it really is. There's a lot of cards that enable characters to change control, uh, but this is the only one that actually gives away more than it actually receives. And it's the most Christmassy card there is. (laughs) There you go. Nice. You are forgetting, of course, Gift of Arboret. Another card with Gift in the title. True. And your opponent ends at a card advantage. (laughs) Yeah, there is. Yeah. Yeah, okay, you're, you're, I know you're, what I'm talking about. I've played this game before. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I'm on about. Yeah. And there's Arya's Gift. Arya's Gift. Yeah, Arya's which is much more personal. Which is nice. It kind of re-gifts, really, doesn't it? I guess so, it does re-gift. Arya's re-gift. Uh, the Blackfish doesn't want this attachment. He's going to give it to Ed Stark instead. <laughs> yeah. He's going to give it to this Winterfell steward. And Winterfell steward, I'm delighted to get anything. Let's face it. <laughs> He's like, oh, thank you, Blackfish. Thank you for encouraging my heroin addiction. Most of all, lovely little bit of milk of the poppy. Dull the pain. Yeah. It's Christmas. Okay. Any more Christmassy cards to talk about for John? I've exhausted my uh, knowledge of charitable uh, charitable cards, I think. Yeah, any of the gift ones. If it's got gift in the name, generally a good start, I think is mm-hmm. probably the best advice we can give. We've got a post from another post from Darren on our uh, on our page but uh, it's been hidden um, because the wonderful webmasters that uh, run our social media platforms uh, thought it wasn't appropriate for us to read out on air so thank you to them that we don't have to uh, to deal with that don't have to see that and uh, one last Christmassy question uh, for all our listeners out there Jack Machen asks didn't you do listeners questions about Starlock like three episodes ago Tony. Fuck off. 